yesterday afternoon, many of you who are on the prayer chain, I'm sure got the, uh, the, the prayer request that uh, Marty Lieb's husband, uh, Sonny, was in the hospital and that uh, he wasn't expected to make it through the night. So I ran over there and uh, got into the, I got at the hospital and walked into the room and he and I had never met and so I introduced myself and Marty quickly said, this is, he's the minister of, of my church. From that moment, almost from the moment she finished, he jumped into a conversation with me. He jumped into a conversation because he was uneasy about what he knew was his future. You see, a little over a week ago, he was having some stomach pain, and last Sunday he went into the ER uh, because of severe stomach pain. Just about midweek, they discovered he had stage 4 stomach cancer and just rapidly went downhill. He realized that he didn't have as much time as what he, he thought he did. He shared that with me. They, they had expected to have many years ahead of them. But he knew, he knew it was coming. And he told me, as soon as Marty finished, he said, I'm about to go on a trip, a long trip. I figured it was probably the medication. And I said, oh, really? Where are you going? He said, well, I'm going to be dying in a little bit. He says, I'm going to go to heaven. God's going to judge me. And then I'm going to go to hell. And I'm going to spend some time there and pay for my sins before I get to go back to heaven. It was an interesting conversation. And so for the next about 20 minutes, he was very aware of what was going on, very aware in this conversation. I went on to explain to him that that's not how God's grace works. It's not how God works. God's grace works much different than that. See, there's no way that we can earn our salvation. We can't earn a way into heaven. Not in doing good enough in life and not suffering long enough in hell. It just doesn't work that way. God's grace is only found through Christ. God's grace is only found through what we just talked about with communion. It is only found through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He had, as a teenager, had been through these conversations. He had been baptized as a teenager. But somewhere along the lines after that, he chose to walk away from God. And here as he laid there on the bed, knowing what was in the immediate future for him, he was uneasy. Because he didn't know what the future held. He couldn't find a contentment in that. Through a conversation, I helped him to understand that God's grace and God's love is bigger than that. That when we come to God through Christ that our sins are forgiven. They're gone. They don't carry with us. We don't have to, to pay penance for them in any way. They are gone forever. Finished. Wrapped up the conversation. He says, well, he says, I guess, I guess I'm on my way to heaven. And he looked over at Marty. He said, I won't be going to hell. She said, did you, you understand what we talked about here? He says, yeah. God's grace, it forgives me. His whole demeanor changed. It, what had been a tense look in his face and in his body, he relaxed. He says, you know, 
I think I want to I wanna get, get, get some sleep. So I excused myself. I said, I'll let you get some sleep. He says, no, no, no. You don't understand. He said, I'm going to, this will be my last sleep. Sure enough, within about 10, 15 minutes after I left, he was gone. You know, we don't know when the end will come. He, they thought that they had years. He thought he had years ahead of him. And all of a sudden, he was face to face with that reality. You know, today's conversation is looking at finding contentment. That God is greater than my contentment. Where it is that I find contentment in life. We can pursue contentment in a variety of ways, in a variety of places. But when you find yourself at the end, you may not have an opportunity like he did to have that conversation, to think that through, to pursue God. Where do you find your contentment? Where do you look for contentment? We Americans, we often link contentment with happiness. We think that if we are just happy, we will be content. And you can find all sorts of uh, uh, studies and surveys that have been done on this, and the billions, I'm not making that dollar amount up, the billions of dollars that Americans spend annually to try to find contentment. We pursue all different directions and sources and and all sorts of self-help gurus in the hopes of finding contentment, whether it's in happiness or something else. But yet, we find that we aren't happy. We aren't content. And those self-help gurus that are out there, oh, they're just looking for the next gullible sap that they can take advantage of. The next person they can get just a little bit more money out of in order to gain something for themselves. Feeding them some lie such as just look within and you'll find it. Find yourself. Discover yourself. And on and on with their various wares that they peddle which are nothing but baubles and trinkets compared to the riches of Christ. Contentment can't be found there. So contentment, it remains elusive for us because we look for it in places and ways apart from our Creator. We look for contentment in places and ways and and various opportunities ahead of us and around us instead of looking to the One who is the source of all contentment. Sometimes, unfortunately, we teach our kids even to be discontent with life to desire more, to desire better. We teach ourselves and we tell ourselves, well, if our situation was just different, well, if I just, if I just had more fill in the blank, then, then I'd be content. We chase after this and that and all the while never finding it. And many people walk away from marriages and their families because they are discontent. They can't find that contentment that is just at their fingertips if they would only turn to Christ fully. And so contentment is something most people fail to find. Today we're finishing up our look at the book of Philippians. And here at the end, Paul talks about contentment. He talks about this mystery of contentment. And he says that he found it. He discovered it. That it isn't found within people and places and things. Rather, Paul teaches the secret 
of the mystery that so many have sought after. So let's look at one section of the end of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you're following along in the Version app, the verses will be listed there. They'll be listed on the screen as well. Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Paul wrote these words to the church at Philippi. He said, I have learned to be content, whether whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Paul discovered the mystery of contentment. The word that's translated in our English books, or Bibles here, uh, learned in verse 11, is not the same Greek word as what is translated as learned in verse 12. There is a difference between them, and understanding the difference can help us to understand a little bit better what Paul's talking about here. The word in verse 11, it, it's a word that carries the idea of learning in much ways like, uh, like in a classroom gathering information to learn something. It's like not only a classroom of, say, when you started your new a job, whether it's a new job or one you've been at. When you started your job, you had to gain information in order to learn this. But the word that's translated as learned in verse 12, it's a different word. It carries the idea of being initiated into something. Not the same as gathering information, but the idea of being initiated into a mystery or secret. It's often a word that was often used in Paul's day to talk about being initiated into a, a secret society. It had to do with mysteries and gaining secret knowledge. Often included the idea of rigorous training and experiences as part of that initiation. Contentment is obviously a mystery because so few people seem to be able to find it. In, in many polls, many Americans even say that they are less content with life than, say, the, the, the residents or citizens of Rwanda with all of the civil unrest that they've had there. We can't seem to find it. Paul was content because he had been initiated into the secret club of the content, the secret society of the content, he had gone through the initiation rites to join, and now he was reaping the benefits of that initiation. What many, what, how many of us Americans could learn from Paul? How many of us could, could gain knowledge from him to find contentment in our lives? What could we gain from his lessons? See, circumstances didn't impact his contentment. Circumstances often dictate happiness because happiness is fleeting. We talked about this a few weeks ago, how happiness is often compared with joy, but they're not the same thing. That you can be joyful without happiness, but you may have happiness in the midst of joy. They're not connected. They sometimes overlap, though. What often passes as contentment in American society is often merely Happiness is just a passing or fleeting thing, such as maybe after our Thanksgiving meal, we are content now. 
And no, we're satisfied. We are, we are happy with having eaten a good meal and spent time together with family and friends. But that's not the same thing as contentment. Contentment is a different animal. We, we go through many things and we look for many things, but contentment, we often think that maybe if we had or make more money or had a better job or if we had a bigger house or if we lived somewhere else, if, if, if other people would just do what I want them to do, then I could find contentment. And the list goes on. But you get the idea. There are many things that we pursue, but none of those things result in true contentment. That they are merely happiness in the end. Contentment has no connection with the things of this life, though. Paul himself had gone through some horrible circumstances. That didn't change things. He was still content. As a matter of fact, prior to writing this letter, Paul had gone through some, some situations in that area because of the persecution that were so bad. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The situation was so bad, he despaired even of life itself. And yet he was able to write that he was content. Elsewhere, Paul went through some other circumstances. He had been shipwrecked, lost at sea, nearly drowned, beaten, bitten by a snake, expect, a poisonous snake, expected to be dead, left for dead after beatings. The list goes on. But he had gone through some horrible stuff. And yet through it all, Paul was able to say he was content. Circumstances didn't matter. Because circumstances do not dictate contentment. He was content despite the circumstances. See, stuff didn't impact contentment for him either. Paul knew what it was like to go without and to go with. He had had plenty and he had gone hungry. None of that mattered. I mean, when you look at the American society, the average American is wealthier than the average human being around the world. We have more going for us more at our fingertips, more available to us than the average person. And yet, in most cases, we are the least content of the people of the world. We dream of having that which we don't have. One of my brothers, when I was younger, had told me this, this reality that the more you have, the more you want. That seems to be so true. We just have this grabbing nature about us. We have to have more. We cling for more. We pursue more stuff. But in the end, it doesn't matter. That's not where we find contentment. We might find fleeting happiness. Solomon called all that chasing after that stuff as chasing after the wind. We hunger for more of what we have and more of what we don't have, but we're never satisfied. We're always left wanting. So some of us, we turn to God and we ask God for more. There are some speakers, some of those even self-help gurus out there, who they claim that we don't have because we just don't ask God. That God, they turn God into this cosmic vending machine. That God just, He is waiting to bless you with more. All you got to do is ask. If you don't have, it's because you haven't asked or you, your, your faith isn't strong enough. Then they feed us a, a half-truth. They teach us something that is missing the mark. See, James, 
He had something to say other than what those health and wealth teachers say, who that we, God wants us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and that He is longing to bless us so that we will be that above everything else. James had a different story to teach us. James chapter 4, it, it teaches us a, a different picture in there. James points out a flaw in that thinking of those types of people. A flaw that their thinking keeps us discontent. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. No, okay, now here, it seems like to this point, maybe they're right. We don't have because we don't ask God. To this, this point, maybe those people are correct. We're discontent and we find ourselves fighting with each other because of our discontentment because we don't ask God. However, James went on. James 4, verses 3 and 4. He says, when you ask... You do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. See, God knows our hearts. He knows what we're feeling and what we're thinking. We cannot fool God. If what we're asking for is simply for ourselves, end of discussion, there is a good possibility God will not give us what we're asking. Can God? Yes. Does God? Yes. But we shouldn't expect it. It's not that we can't ask God for those things that we want. We can. But we have to be careful of our motive in there. We have to be careful of what is going on in our mind, in our heart. What is our ultimate goal with this? If our life is lived for Christ, it means that our life is lived to Christ's end. What was His purpose? He came to seek and to save what was lost. So when we're asking for fill in the blank, what is our purpose for it? Is it just so that we can have more and better in this life? Forgetting about the next? Forgetting about the people around us who are outside of Christ, who are going to die one day in their sin and not spend eternity with God? What's our motive for when we ask? Paul, like James, discovered that there is something more to this life than stuff. In Proverbs, the proverb writer talks about this as well. In Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9, has this to say. The writer in a prayer asks God this two, thing, two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. But give me only my daily bread, otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. You see, moderation, you could say, is the key here. Too much can cause us to forget God. We get content in life, you could say. We become happy with our stuff. 
Kind of like the child who's given their toys and they sit on the floor and they play with them, totally oblivious to everything around them. We get all wrapped up in, in what we've got. And we forget the giver of those gifts. Or maybe we have too little. And so we go through life coveting what everybody else has. Or maybe even going to the point of stealing what others have so that we can have. And the, and the writer here in his prayer, he says, God, give me enough. Give me enough. Let me find my contentment there in you and in you alone. Sometimes we turn Christianity into a crutch, though. Is that the only time we turn to God is when life starts to go haywire. We lean into Him when life's going off the rails, but we forget Him the rest of the time. And the, the writer here is saying, God, don't let me do that. God, don't let me do that. Don't let me fall into that trap. Contentment is found in choosing to see that life is greater than what we might get or have. Choosing to look to a different place to find contentment other than what comes naturally to us. And choosing to make God greater than my contentment. When we do that, we can experience true contentment. When we make life about the here and now, we are discontent. We quarrel. We fight. As human beings, as Christians within the church, we quarrel and we fight because we are discontent with how things are. We want our way. Give me what I want. Do what I say. Not, God, you are my all. I turn to you for everything. I am content in you and you alone. Stuff, you see, shouldn't impact our contentment. Paul said at the end of this section, he says that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Earlier in the letter, Paul had this to say. He said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, It is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose, or to fulfill His good purpose. To begin to understand contentment, we must start with God, and we must start with that reality. That's what Paul is pointing back to when he said he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. God will not work through us, you see, until He has worked in us. We must choose to turn to God in a way other than just going to church. It is a whole life thing. It is choosing to say, God, You are above everything for me, and I follow You. You are my all, and I find my contentment in You. And God, work in me. Not to be looking for all that other stuff and things and circumstances, but rather to look to You alone. To begin to understand contentment, we must begin with God. God works in us. He works in us through the Bible. As we read the Bible, as we study it, He speaks to us. Hebrew writer says that the, the Bible is living and active. God is at work. He, the Holy Spirit inside the believer he takes what we read from the Bible, which means that we must be reading the Bible. 
He takes what we read from the Bible and He works it in us. He helps to shape us, to change our desires and our perspectives, to give us strength to overcome in every circumstance, whether we have plenty or we are without, whether we are hungry or we are full. No matter the circumstances, God takes the Word and He helps us to find contentment. God speaks to us and works in us as we pray, as we talk with Him, which again requires that we talk with Him on a regular basis. And as we pray, He then works in us changing our mind and our thoughts and our emotions to see life from a different angle, to pursue God for different reasons. Contentment is something that is internal to us. It is dependent on God. It is not something we find in and of ourselves, but it is something that we find in Christ and in Christ alone. There is a becoming of us the desiring of more of God and more of living for God. There is this working that is done and that becoming is part of our contentment. We discover that life isn't about here and now. We discover that there is a greater purpose for our life. One that goes beyond me and my desires and my wants and my preferences. As long as we live in our wants and our preferences, we are discontent and we will find conflict. But when we see that God and His purpose is our greatest purpose, we discover, we discover something else. And we learn that life is about God and what He would have. We become content with what we have and with what is happening to us. We see that we have been called for a greater purpose than just getting our way, than just getting what we want. And we live life then on purpose. We live life for His mission. God, through prayer, He initiates us into the secret society of the content as we live that life on purpose. We learn to listen and obey as the Spirit talks to us, as He leads us, directs us. Go here, don't go there. Do this, don't do that as He prompts us inwardly to live more fully for God, as He encourages us to help us to learn the love of God. And sometimes, though, sometimes God works in us through the difficulties of life. Yes, sometimes God allows us or even takes us through them. Initiation rites for many, of, many groups, secret societies or fraternities or whatever. Most of those initiation, rite, initiation rites, I've never been through them, so I'm just told about them. Uh, some of them are grueling. Some of them are just goofy. And overarching, the idea is either like humiliation or just in jest, or sometimes there's other purposes. But we have to remember that the initiation rites into the, into the secret society of the content that God takes us through, they have a purpose. They have a meaning. If God is taking us through difficulties of life, there is a reason for it. God doesn't let that stuff go to waste. There's a purpose. God takes us through it so that we begin to see the world, see our life from a different set of eyes. See that there is a greater purpose and a greater meaning than what we would think there is. That we could, that we could make it through them with strength. St. John of the Cross, an old ancient writer, he called those difficulties the dark night of the soul. 
Those times when we're going through hard times and we feel as if God couldn't be further from us. But the reality is, if God is taking you through the dark night of the soul, a difficult circumstance, God has never been closer than at that time. Lean into Him. Turn to Him more in the good and in the bad. Or maybe a better way of putting it, in the bad and in the good. Lean into God. Whatever the circumstances may be. Self-help books on the topic tell you, to, as I said before, look inside, but that's the wrong place. Look to God. Look to the Creator of your soul. Look to Him for contentment, for purpose, for meaning. This is what Paul was saying in verse 13 when he said, I can do all things, all of this, through Him who gives me strength. He could go hungry. He could do without. He could endure hardships because God gave him strength to go through it. God was at work in him to give him the strength. God was the reservoir that he drew from. You know, Jesus, in John 15, he talked about the parable of the vine and the branches. It's an excellent picture of what Paul is talking about here. In that parable, Jesus taught us how it is that the branch cannot produce fruit by itself, but the branch draws everything it needs from the vine. Separated from the vine, it has one purpose, to be thrown away and burned. Connected to the vine, with the power of the vine flowing through the branch, fruit is produced. You see, when we stay connected to God. When we find our source of purpose and meaning in Him through Christ, we are that branch connected to the vine. And then whatever it is that life brings our way, that reservoir that we are drawing from is the unlimited reservoir of God. We can find the strength to make it through whatever we go through. Believers who try to live a life of a Christian, on their own strength, they find life hard at best. Christianity becomes a chore that they have to endure. We work harder and harder to be what God calls us to be, but we keep finding ourselves falling flat. We do everything in our own strength rather than in the strength of Christ. Churches who try to go about fulfilling the mission of Christ in their own strength, rather than looking to God and asking God, what is your purpose for this church? They find what they are doing falling flat, falling short, not able to do what needs to be done. However, when we draw strength from our relationship with Christ, we find strength. When we are connected to the vine, as a branch, through the Bible, through prayer, through involvement and activities with other believers, we find the strength that we need. God will enable us to be and to do what it is that He calls us to be and do. What it is He desires for us. We will then find contentment. The contentment that we have so desperately been looking for, we will find contentment here. No matter what we have or don't have. No matter what's going on around us we will be able to then approach the end of our life knowing that we are where we are supposed to be. 
we will find strength to be content through and in Christ. So where do you find your contentment? As we move through this series, studied through the book of Philippians, I hope that you have seen that God is greater than every area of life, every possible airy corner connection point. God is greater. And here at the end, Paul is saying, God is greater than wherever it is that I could look to try to find contentment. Lean into God. Look to God for your source for everything. Choose for God to be greater than everything of life.